G'day, I'm Charles. It's good to have you with us. Uh, I've been a bit sick this week, so sorry if I sound a little gravelly. Um, we've been exploring some of the deep longings uh, that kind of uh, characterise modern life. Uh, we've looked at our longing for more, uh, our longing for love. Today we're going to be exploring our longing for hope. Uh, and when I say hope, what I'm talking about is a uh, confidence in future blessing. Uh, a confidence that things are going to be better in the future uh, than they are now. Could you guys help me out? Yeah. Um, that's what hope is. Uh, and I say future uh, because hope always has to do with something that is unknown, something that is, in a sense, not here yet. You don't hope for something that you already have, and so it's always a future thing. Um, but more than that, hope is a confidence that things will actually be better in the future. Uh, that there is an upward trajectory, uh, that there is blessing uh, to come. Uh, and there are a whole bunch of different ways that we could explain what that future blessing actually is. Uh, that's part of what we'll explore today. Uh, but the thing that really defines hope um, is a confidence now about that future blessing. Uh, see, hope is something you have now. Uh, the more confident you are, the more hopeful, less confident, less hopeful. Uh, that's what hope is, but I want to hear from you. Uh, we're going to ask a few different questions at a few points, uh, get you guys talking. Uh, first question uh, I want to ask is this, uh, what things make you confident of a better future? Uh, which is really another way of asking, what do you put your hope in? Uh, so take two minutes, chat with the people around you. Hopefully you've had a chance to explore some of the things that you put your hope in. Um, and I suppose one of the first things to say is that uh, actually hope is an incredibly powerful, positive uh, force in our lives. 
Um, so C.R. Snyder uh, is a leading psychologist when it comes to hope. Uh, he's got an article called Hope Theory, um, and he reviews the last decade of research on hope. Um, and what he shows is that hope has an incredibly uh, positive impact on our lives across a whole range of areas. Uh, and so he says this, um, high hope persons consistently fare better than their low hope counterparts in the arenas of academics, athletics, physical health, psychological adjustment, and psychotherapy. And so the evidence seems pretty clear that hope um, is a powerful force for good in our lives. Um, but more than that, um, hope is what keeps us going when everything else fails. Um, see, it's all well and good to have you know, academic, athletic achievement, but what do you do when you get a bad diagnosis, um, when you get bad news, uh, when a loved one passes away? Um, those are the times when you lose everything except hope. And in those times, you need a solid hope. Um, and if you actually, if you go through the Old Testament, um, what you'll find is that two books mention hope more than any others. Uh, those two books are Job and the Psalms. Uh, and the thing about those two books is those two books are the most concerned with the lived experience of suffering, um, hardship, and pain. And the presence of hope in those two books, I think, shows us uh, the importance of having and finding a solid hope amidst times of suffering and hardship. Um, how do you keep moving forward if you don't think things will get better? Uh, we need hope wherever we're at, um, wherever we're heading, um, whatever lies ahead for each of us, we all need hope. Uh, and yet, at the same time, uh, one of the tragic realities of modern life is that we seem to be getting uh, less and less hopeful about the future. Um, there was an article in the Washington Post, uh, and it found that millennials today, so kind of youngest generation, and they're actually the first generation in a little while that believes that they are going to be uh, less well off than their parents. Um, now, maybe you go, oh, that's just youthful angst. But there is a sense that things are going to be harder in the future than they have been in the past. Um, add to that what some have called the modern epidemic of depression and anxiety. Um, I saw one uh, journal article called Depression, the Disease of Modernity. Um, there's an article on Wired. Um, I think it put it quite well. Um, collectively, a lot of us who want to believe in a better, fairer way of life have lost the sense that there might be a future worth counting on. Right now, what many of us are experiencing is a sort of cultural depression. Um, but the most devastating thing is that suicide rates have actually increased 24% over the last 30 years across most age groups. Uh, and then um, uh, New York Times, they asked people, you know, why is this happening? Um, professor from Harvard said, this is actually part of a larger pattern um, of hopelessness in our culture. Uh, and so the question is, why? Why is there such a strong sense of hopelessness, such a weak sense of hope? Um, what's driving that? Where's it coming from? Um, I think hopefully if we can actually diagnose a few things in our culture, then that might um, put us in a place where we can actually fully appreciate uh, the Christian view of hope, uh, how to find hope in a hopeless world. So that's what we're going to do uh, today. Uh, and I want to start by pointing out um, two shifts 
that have happened over the last few hundred years and that I think have fundamentally reshaped hope for us. Um, so to do this, I want to take you back to something Matt showed us last week, week before as well. Uh, it's the division between what's called the transcendent and the imminent frame. Uh, transcendent is, refers to kind of spiritual uh, realm, things like God, heaven, uh, spiritual forces, afterlife, that stuff. Uh, imminent frame is the physical world around us made up of cold, hard atoms, the stuff that you and I can see, hear and touch. Uh, and only a few hundred years ago, uh, we believed that the transcendent could influence the imminent and likewise the imminent could connect with the transcendent, uh, the spiritual realm. Uh, there was what some have called a porous boundary between the two. Uh, but come through to uh, our modern secular world, uh, and we've effectively cut off the imminent from the transcendent, and now we live with a much firmer boundary between the two. What does this have to do with hope? Uh, we'll go back a few hundred years, uh, and what you'll find is that most people's hope was located in the transcendent realm often in some kind of an afterlife, a life beyond the here and now. And that is what most people had in mind when they thought of my better future. Um, that's what it was. Scroll forward to our modern society, and by separating the two, uh, what we've done is we've pulled all our hope from the transcendent and into the imminent, all our ideas of future blessing. Um, what we've done is we've redefined our future hope away from things like heaven and an afterlife. And now all our ideas of a better future have to do with the here and the now, our physical lives on earth. Things like health, wealth, freedom, pleasure, experiences, whatever. And so when people talk about hope now, uh, what they're talking about is the idea that our lives will get better in some measurable way before we die. Uh, can you see the shift there? Um, we've essentially imminentized our ideas about future blessing, of hope. Uh, and what that's done is it's left us vulnerable and fragile. See, if all your hope lies beyond this life, uh, if your hope's for something like heaven, then no one can ever take that from you. Um, your future hope is essentially untouchable. Uh, it's indestructible. But if all your hope is for the here and the now, then absolutely, you can lose that. It can be taken from you. Uh, and so what was once untouchable has now become vulnerable and fragile. Um, your future, your hope, can now be taken from you. Uh, just think with me about the example of um, African-American slaves, kind of 18th, 19th century uh, in America. How did they keep their hope alive? Well, for the many that were Christians, um, it was precisely because their hope lay beyond this world that they did remain so hopeful. Um, their hope was that one day God would set all things right, that they would be given life and freedom no matter what happened in this life, uh, and nobody could take that from them. Uh, and so their hope was firm, it was strong, uh, because it was a transcendent hope. Um, have a look at what Howard Thurman uh, says about that, that kind of African-American spirituality. He says, The facts make clear that religion did serve 
to deepen the capacity of endurance and the absorption of suffering. It taught people how to ride high in life, to look squarely in the face of those facts that argue most dramatically against all hope, and to use those facts as a raw material out of which they fashioned hope that the environment with all its cruelty could not crush. Can you see the point? Their hope lay beyond the boundaries, the circumstances of this world, and for that reason it was indestructible. But come forward to modern life, and that kind of hope is dying out. Why? Uh, Because we've cut off the transcendent, pulled everything into the imminent. And so all our ideas about future blessing now have to do with the here and now, and it leaves us vulnerable, fragile, because you can lose your health, your wealth, relationships, even your freedom. That's the first shift we uh, see in our culture. The second has to do with the source of our confidence about that future, where we get our confidence from. Um, It's philosopher Andrew Delbanco. He says there's kind of three movements when it comes to the source of our hope. Uh, And so stage one is where we believe that actually God was the one uh, responsible for securing our future blessing. He would give us that future blessing. He was the one who would ensure it was the case. Um, But then stage two is where we shifted our confidence from God uh, and towards the state. And so for a time in human history, um, you would put your confidence in the nation, you know, the government. But to scroll through two world wars, that confidence is now shattered. leads us to stage three. It's where we are today. And one of the unique challenges of modern life is that now each individual has the sole responsibility of securing that future blessing for themselves. Can you see it's gone from God to nation to self? Um, I think you actually see some of this around the psychology of hope. Um, see, for a psychologist like Snyder, mentioned by him before, he says hope is defined by your ability to create pathways to your goals and to kind of generate motivation to get there. Um, but what's missing from that picture is the idea that somebody else would actually secure that future blessing for you, that you would put your hope in them to do it. Um, It's just assume that everyone has the sole responsibility of realizing their goals. And so as a result, it's made us far less certain that blessing is actually in our future. Um, Not to mention the incredible pressure it puts on us. Uh, See, when God is responsible for my future, there's at least the perceived confidence that, well, of course he's going to secure that for me because he's God. But now it's up to you, you and me, the individual. And maybe I won't be able to make things better. Maybe I'm what Snyder would call a low hope individual. And so as a result, we're far less confident. We're far less hopeful of a bright future. Um, There's been a shift in our source of confidence. Um, And then as a result of that, that's kind of led to a bit of a a supernova of things that we just put our confidence in. Things like money, relationships, career, health. But these are all just different ways of securing a better future for ourselves. They're a means to an end, but the responsibility lands on us. Um, 
And the fact is that many of these things we look to, um, they offer pretty little by way of confidence when it comes to the future. We're just grasping for something to put our confidence in and we can't find it. Um, But it's not like any of those things like money or whatever. Um, It's not like that's a new thing, that they're not very good at giving us confidence. Uh, That's always been the case. Uh, The Apostle Paul, he said this around 2,000 years ago. Uh, He was writing to a young pastor called Timothy. He said, um, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Financial insecurity, um, it is not new. Uh, It's been there for at least 2,000 years. I'd argue longer. That's two shifts that have happened in our culture. We've pulled our ideas of future blessing from the transcendent to the imminent. It's left us vulnerable, fragile. And then we've shifted out the source of our confidence from God to ourselves, which has made us uncertain, doubtful about the future. Uh, But now I want to hear from you again. Uh, So uh, I want to ask you this question. On the whole, will things be better, worse, or roughly the same for humanity 100 years from now? All right, two minutes, have a crack. It's an interesting and also a bit of a tricky question to answer. Um, but one thing I want to notice is that I think for most of us, there will be an instinct that will want to hope that things would be better. Uh, there seems to be something in us that believes that things are meant to get better, even if we think they might actually not get better. Um, 
But what I want to point out is that that instinct for hope, the idea things are meant to get better, is actually a distinctly Christian idea. Um, in his book, uh, History of the Idea of Progress, um, Robert Nisbet, um, he points out, um, if you go back and look at ancient cultures, um, they had a cyclical view of time and history where things simply kind of just went round and round. Things never really got better or worse for humanity on the whole. And while some individuals might have a hope of getting to the top of the pecking order, the idea that things would get better for everybody was totally nonsense. And what Nisbet points out is that it was really Christianity that first introduced the idea that this world might actually be going somewhere. Um, the idea that history is more like an arrow than a circle was absolutely unheard of in the ancient world. Um, I think you can see some of this uh, in the differences between the way that the ancients told stories and the way that we tell stories. Um, see, in the ancient world, particularly in Greece, you had um, both the comedy and the tragedy, where at a very surface level, one had a good ending, one had a bad ending. Um, but if you look at top movies today, what you'll find is that there are very few tragedies that are really popular with a modern audience. Um, one exception to that is perhaps the Titanic, um, which I mean was only ever going to be a tragedy. Um, but even then, there's something in us that wants to scream at Leonardo to get on the door because there's room. We, like, we want a good ending. Um, something has changed in us that now we believe that actually every story is going to end well. Um, I think Samwise Gamgee puts it best. He says this. It's like in the great stories, Mr. Frodo, the ones that really mattered. Full of darkness and danger they were. And sometimes you didn't want to know the end, because how could the end be happy? How could the world go back to the way it was when so much bad had happened? But in the end, it's only a passing thing, this shadow. Every, even darkness must pass. A new day will come. Uh, and when the sun shines, it will shine out the clearer. Those were the stories that stayed with you, that meant something, even if you were too small to understand why. That is our instinct for hope. And what Robert Nisbet points out is that that instinct for hope, the idea that our story will end well, is a distinctly Christian idea. It's absolutely unique. And if we share that instinct, it's only because of the influence of Christianity. So then, why is it that even while many of us are convinced that things should get better, we're also convinced that they might actually not get better. Can you see there's actually two impulses that our culture has? On the one hand, there's this instinct for hope, things should get better. But on the other hand, there's a sense of hopelessness about the future. There's kind of two impulses. And what I, what I want to suggest is that our instinct for hope comes from a distinctly Christian worldview. But our increasing hopelessness comes as a result of drifting away from an authentic Christian view of hope. Um, we have an instinct for hope from Christianity, but we're losing it because we've forgotten, uh, we've gotten confused about what the Christian hope actually is. So let me take you through how we've drifted. Uh, and to do that, I want to first give you the Christian view 
uh, and then show how our culture has drifted. Uh, and the first part of the Christian view is not that the world is constantly getting better, uh, but that the world has actually been plunged into a state of disorder as a result of a thing called sin. Uh, now, the world was originally made to get better and better, remember? Adam and Eve, multiply, fill the earth. Progress. But because of Adam and Eve's and our disobedience, our world has now been put into a state of disorder. Uh, now, Christian worldview is not that things are constantly getting worse after the garden, uh, but more that the world wobbles, wobbles around. Um, it doesn't get better or worse, it just kind of wobbles. Um, I think you see that pretty clearly in the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes. Um, I'm going to show you one example from the opening chapter, but it's there through the whole book. It says, All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new? It was here already long ago. It was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations. And even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. Can you see the world just kind of wobbles? Back and forth, nothing new under the sun. Um, reflecting on this, um, English writer G.K. Chesterton says this. He says, there is no way the world is going. There never was. The world is not going anywhere in the sense of the old optimist progressives or even of the old pessimist reactionaries. It is not going to the brave new world, which Mr. Aldous Huxley described with detestation, any more than to the new utopia, which Mr. H.G. Wells described with delight. The world is what the saints and the prophets saw it was. It is not merely getting better or merely getting worse. There is one thing the world does. It wobbles. Life in itself is not a ladder. It is a seesaw. Notice what he's saying there. He's being quite careful. He's not saying that things simply just stay the same. It's not a cyclical view. He's saying things will be different, just not better. Um, he's saying that our world wobbles between actions and reactions, but never settles on truth and life. Our world won't save itself by itself. Um, what this means is that our world, it'll see different evils and injustices, and it will react to those things, and maybe it will solve some of the problems. But in the process, it will create a whole bunch of new problems as it seesaws the other way. Um, maybe you can think of examples. If you're noticing our culture going through changes, that's simply the seesaw of the wobble. And so the Christian view isn't that things constantly progress towards utopia. Um, the unique thing about the Christian worldview uh, is that one day God will come and set all things right in what the Bible often calls the day of the Lord. And it is on this day that God will set all things right and all things will truly be made better uh, with the creation of the new heavens, new earth. Um, and so we can diagram it like this. Um, got some wobbles along the way and then boom! <laughs> day of the Lord, all things will be made right. That's the Christian view. That's the, that's the Bible's view. Um, but I've said we've drifted from that. Um, how? 
Well, as we've lost our belief in the transcendent, we've become increasingly doubtful about the idea that God will set all things right. We've still got this instinct for hope, though, which we got from Christianity, but we like that, resonates with us. And so what we've done is we've pulled the Christian hope um, away, uh, pulled hope away from the idea of an end-time judgment and into the imminent, the here and the now of the physical world. And instead of believing that one day God would come and set all things right, we start to believe actually this world will naturally progress towards a better and better future. Uh, and so now um, all our ideas about a better future are only for this world because that's all we've got now. Can you see the difference there? One says hope comes when God steps in, and the other says that things are always getting better. And notice who's responsible for getting us there. We are. We're now the source of our confidence. And I wonder if maybe some of the hopelessness in our culture comes from the fact that we're constantly expecting things to get better, and when they don't, we feel let down, disillusioned. Hopeless, as if things are never going to get better. Um, when you're constantly expecting things to go up and they don't, you feel let down. Um, there was an article uh, in the journal uh, Nature, um, and I think it actually kind of proves this point. Um, it found over the last 70 years, people have always felt like morality is declining. Things are getting worse. But then they showed that that is actually an illusion, Morality has actually been relatively steady. Um, the article's called The Illusion of Moral Decline. So why have we bought into the idea, the illusion, that things are on the decline? I wonder if it's because we're expecting them to go up, but then they don't, and so it feels like we're going backwards. Um, but really, the biggest problem I see with the modern view is the problem of death. Um, I want to ask you, how do you feel about death? Um, and what, if anything, do you think lies beyond the grave? Have a chat. <laughs>
Um, death, death's a big topic. Uh, death's a deeply personal topic. It will be uh, for everyone at some point. Um, but as I said, I, I also think it's the big problem um, with our culture's view of hope. Um, see, part of what I've been trying to do today is to show you how we've pulled all our hope from the transcendent into the imminent, um, whether that be for us as individuals or for our entire view of human history. Um, but the big problem when you pull everything into the here and now is that our time in the here and the now comes to an end. Uh, I think Job puts it well when he says, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. Um, the truth is all of us will exit this world in the same way that we came into it. And we came with nothing and we'll leave with nothing. Um, and so how do you make sense of that if all your hope is for the here and the now? Um, how does death not destroy all our hope? Um, our culture has a few different ways of explaining death. Um, perhaps the most notable is the idea that death is just a natural part of life. It's just the next stage in the journey. Um, I think a good example of this is the Lion King. So we're told that we are all connected in the great circle of life. And so death is a part of life. It's nothing to be feared. And so for Simba, um, he can take comfort in the fact that his father, Mufasa, um, is, has now rejoined that cycle and he's feeding the grass on which the antelope will feed. Um, but the big, biggest problem with that is that while it might sound nice, it doesn't at all resonate with the lived experience of death around us. Um, philosopher Peter Kreeft says this, Death does not feel natural, however biologically necessary it may be. This feeling about death cannot be put to death by reasonable considerations about the cycles of nature. Man does not feel like recycled fertilizer, as the Lion King would have us believe. Um, I think theologian Carl Jung gives us a far more accurate picture of death. Death is indeed a fearful piece of brutality. There is no sense pretending otherwise. Um, it is brutal, not, a, not only as a physical event, but far more so psychically. Um, a human being is torn away from us, and what remains is the icy stillness of death. Uh, there no longer exists any hope of a relationship, for all the bridges have been smashed at one blow. If all our hope is for this world, then how could death not violate that to the core, stripping us of all the futures we've ever hoped for, all the better stories gone? Um, hope is destroyed by death, unless there is a better story. Um, as I close, um, let me briefly allude to the heart of the Christian hope. And I will only allude to it, um, because as many of you know, next week uh, is our weekend away, and it's on the topic of hope and the last things. Uh, so I don't want to steal too much thunder from Timmy. Um, but the heart of the Christian hope is that there is one who has gone before us through the veil of death and has come out the other side. It's the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And the Bible says that he has gone before us to secure our future blessing. And he now stands at the right hand of God, 
awaiting the final judgment when he will return, bringing with him the day of the Lord, when he will set all things right and truly make this world a better place. That is the heart of our hope. Uh, and so let me leave you with the words of 1 Corinthians 15, 19 and 20. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus, our pioneer um, who has gone before us um, to secure for us a better hope. And we pray that while we await his return, that you would fill us with hope. Uh, fill us with hope and with confidence that one day you will set all things right uh, and deliver to us um, our future blessing. Father, we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.